gonna do a lot of damage to riders. There are a lot more challenges that we face, and we're trying to do that balancing act. Higher fares for a reduction in service. The details behind Toronto's new transit plan and what it means for riders. Good evening. We'll bring you that story in just a moment, but we begin with a major issue affecting Toronto's hospital system today. The University Health Network says it has suffered a breakdown with some of its essential digital systems, leading to a widespread outage. CTV's Mike Walker is along Hospital Road tonight with how this is affecting the UHN and what this means for patients, Mike. Well, Michelle, Nathan, we heard from some staff today that this happened around the noon hour. This network outage is widespread for UHN's hospital network. Its website is down. Its patient portal is down as well. Uh, some staff tell us they don't even have access to email. The cause of this is still under investigation. The University Health Network declaring a code gray at its hospitals amid a network outage affecting its digital systems. Tarek Bajwa is a respiratory technician. We cannot access anything now. Not phone or uh, not even the, our laptop, desktop, like emails or stuff. Around 1 this afternoon, UHN's website was down. So too is the patient portal where patients can access information about appointments and results. UHN includes Toronto General and Toronto Western Hospitals, Princess Margaret Cancer Centre and the Toronto Rehabilitation Institute. A spokesperson telling CTV News our digital team is investigating the issues and will update periodically. Clinical areas are using downtime procedures at this time. I was actually just finishing up a biopsy this morning yeah. and when I came back out that's when they... They thought it was just a glitch, and that's when they found out the whole hospital was down. Sherry Elliott had two appointments at Toronto General today when the network went offline. And I had an appointment just now at 3 o'clock, and the doctor can't access any of the records. They don't seem to know what's causing it. We have to follow up with a virtual appointment because you can't pull up x-rays or any of your records. The hospital says doctors are able to access some medical records using a downtime system. There's computer downtimes, labs are still up and running, everything's still going on, so... I was able to do my procedures, not a problem. The cause of the outage is not yet known. UHN also hasn't said what systems are affected, leaving staff, patients and their families in the dark. Other than that there's a network outage, no. That's all we've been told. He still had his appointment, so all was good. This comes after Sick Kids Hospital declared a code grey in December following a ransomware attack that delayed test results, knocked out phone lines and broke payroll systems. Now, at this point, UHN hasn't said that this is the result of a cyber attack. The cause of this network outage is still under investigation, and there is no timeline on when those affected systems will be restored. Reporting live, I'm Mike Walker. Back to you. Thank you, Mike. In just a few short months, riding the rocket will cost you more. The TTC today has officially hiked the cost for most travelers as planned in the city's upcoming budget. To some, the fare increase is only a few pennies. But as CTV's Janice Golding explains, critics say the measures lack common sense. And all those in favor? Opposed? With little dissent, the TTC board approved a fare hike this afternoon, meaning effective April the 3rd, adults and youth will see TTC fares increase 10 cents, bringing the cost to ride the TTC to $3.35. Seniors and those with monthly passes will be exempt, and children 12 and under will continue to ride for free. And so we have huge budgetary issues because of the uh, lower ridership. Right now it's about 69% of what it was, and unfortunately in Toronto, so much of our operating budget is dependent on 
uh, fares of individuals, and we can't escape that. The fare hike will generate more than $16 million to offset a sharp increase in diesel fuel costs and to fund new investments in system safety, cleanliness, and accessibility. Chief among them, the hiring of 10 new outreach workers and 25 special constables. Getting me on the bus faster and home faster would go a lot further to make me feel safe. While they have not yet been endorsed by the entirety of City Council, a number of other items were approved by the board today. Of major concern to dozens who voiced their opposition, proposed service hour reductions to 91% of pre-pandemic levels. Even with people returning to work, the TTC is forecasting ridership will bounce back to just 75% by year's end, so it says its adjusted service levels will still exceed demand. Trying to say, well, you pay more for less service, that's not right. We're worried that we could see a ridership death spiral where if service cuts continue to happen, no one will be able to rely on the TTC. Fewer people will take it. There will be even less fare revenue. The TTC says, however, it's still dealing with the aftermath of COVID-19, and this year it's projecting a loss in passenger revenues of $328 million, along with what it normally makes from advertising, parking, and concessions. It's also factory in costs for PPE and HEPA filtration for staff and riders. We also have to remember that um, over the last three years, there hasn't been a fare increase. Inflation's run at about 10 to 12 percent cumulatively, so our 3.1 percent increase is equivalent to uh, a reduction if you look at it in, in inflationary terms. While the TTC board has the right to set fare increases, such as those that will take effect on April the 3rd, the remainder of the items discussed here today will need to be voted on by council as a whole at the next city budget meeting, which is set for February the 14th. Janice Golding, CTV News. Back in Buffalo, Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin is released from a Cincinnati hospital and no longer in critical condition. The latest on his remarkable road to recovery. Police west of Toronto have been spending much of the day cleaning up a terrible traffic mess. This was the scene this morning near the 403 in Oakville. Police say six people were taken to hospital following a rush hour crash. Eight vehicles were involved here, including an industrial vacuum truck and a school bus. No word on the condition of the injured, but we do know the bus was not carrying any children. No word either on a cause. One man's recovering in hospital tonight following an early morning crash with a streetcar. Police say the driver was in a cube van near Queen and Church at about 1 in the morning when he hit the TTC vehicle head-on. He was rescued from the van with what are said to be life-altering injuries. One other person was injured. They were also in the van at the time of the crash. You've heard the old adage about the early bird catching the worm. Well, tonight, at least for some go passengers, you can add train to that saying. Metrolinx is tweaking the departure schedule to a number of its stops. CTV's Beth McDonnell joins us from Scarborough Station to make sense of it all. Nathan, starting today at 11 GO stations across the system, including Union Station, Durham College, Oshawa and Allendale, trains will be closing their doors one minute ahead of the scheduled departure time. It's a change commuters are trying to get used to. It's a 60-second change, putting commuters in a scurry. I did rush, yeah. Insane. I hated it. You can hear, yeah, I ran. <laughs> they just closed the doors, too. To keep moving on time, Go Transit is closing the doors on certain trains one minute ahead of their scheduled departure, leaving some trying to get home, to work, and to school with a sudden and unexpected wait. I think I, think I should be able to get on right now. Like, it's literally right here. I should be able to just get on, otherwise I go away now. 
Metrolink says it can take up to 45 seconds for crews to close doors at the start of a trip, and the change helps trains leave and arrive at stops on time. Kirat Singh's job takes him to Scarborough from his home in Brampton. Missing this train means he's late. Sometimes they, the persons are late, they are rushing because the last train got also late, then we can't do anything. There are reminders about the new way trains are running, and for the most part, passengers appear prepared, even if they didn't make it on the first day of the change. Yeah, I missed it, but uh, overall, it, it's good for everyone. We'll get used to it. It's new, so it's a bit weird, but if everybody gets used to it, it gets better. Many routes have spaced out departure times, 30 minutes or more. There is a debate if closing the doors early is needed or will speed up service. I think Union Station is pretty reliable, but once you get out of here, it's pretty inconsistent. Well, if anything, they probably need to put more trains on. Yeah, I didn't really see it coming, but um, I mean, maybe uh, they're just trying to make their service better. And so platform ready is where many make sure to be. There's only one minute left. You're right. Yes. Happy to hurry, to avoid disappointment and a long wait. This one-minute change does not apply to the UP Express or buses. Metrolink says it will be monitoring customer feedback on this change. Reporting live, I'm Beth McDonnell. Now back to Michelle and Nathan. All right. Thank you, Beth. Well, a bit of a frigid start to the work week, but still a lot better than what most Januarys are like. Here's a live look at the city tonight. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. Lindsay. Nathan, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, it was another cloudy day here in southern Ontario. There isn't a whole lot to show you here on the satellite and radar, but what we're concerned about tonight isn't what you can see. It's the risk of freezing drizzle. There's an advisory in effect. Of course, this can make for some very slippery surfaces that you can't often see as a pedestrian or as a driver. So take it easy out there tonight. Winds have been pretty gusty out of the west today. As a result, there is a wind chill factor. The temperature itself on the plus side this hour in Toronto, but feeling more like minus four. Uh, temperature trend-wise, we have been above normal. How long will that pattern last? We'll take a look at what's in store with your seven-day forecast coming up. For now, though, Michelle, over to you. Thank you, Lindsay. Less than a week after he suffered a cardiac arrest during an NFL game, Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin is out of hospital. The remarkable turn of events detailed today by doctors taking care of the 24-year-old. Our Zoraida Allman joins us now to explain this incredible speedy recovery. Zoraida. Nathan, doctors say DeMar Hamlin's condition is improving on a, quote, accelerated trajectory. Today, they deemed him well enough to make the trip from Cincinnati back home to a hospital in Buffalo. Doctors describe DeMar Hamlin's progress as remarkable. We continue to be ecstatic about his recovery. And as Bill mentioned, when we started all this, you know, what we told his parents is the only thing that mattered uh, was the patient in the bed and getting him back to him and his family um, and to his community. Today, a step in that direction. His medical team in Cincinnati announcing that Hamlin has now been transferred to a hospital in Buffalo. Hamlin this afternoon tweeting, grateful for the awesome care I received at UCMC. Happy to be back in Buffalo. The docs and nurses at Buffalo General have already made me feel at home. Buffalo Bills head coach Sean McDermott calling it a blessing. Glad to have Hamlin closer to home. It's like anything else when you have your family close by. Um, it just feels just feels right. It just feels better. And uh, it's just good knowing um, that he's that he's nearby. 
His return to Buffalo comes a week after the Bills' safety suffered a cardiac arrest on the field during a game in Cincinnati. While it's too soon to know the exact prognosis, doctors say his recovery has been ahead of the curve so far. The breathing tube came out early Friday morning, and he's continued to make good progress since, uh, but worked with uh, physical therapy and, and was had assisted walks with the nursing staff on Friday, continuing to regain strength. He's certainly on uh, what we consider a very normal to even accelerated trajectory. Buffalo Bills fans and the team no doubt behind him every step of the way, dedicating last night's game to number three. DeMar Hamlin watching from his hospital bed, posting a photo, sending the love right back. And in addition to his ongoing recovery, doctors say Hamlin will continue to undergo tests to determine exactly what caused the cardiac arrest. Meanwhile, the game last night dedicated to him, the Buffalo Bills won 35-23 against the Patriots. I'm Zoraid Allman. Michelle, back to you. North of the city, police are investigating the death of a young child in Gravenhurst. The OPP and emergency personnel responded to a call for a toddler with significant injuries Thursday evening at a residence on Brown Street. The two-year-old passed away Saturday in hospital. No further details have been released and no charges have been laid. Police say it's unclear if this is a criminal investigation, calling the situation complex. After years of delays and months of negotiations, Canada is getting new fighter jets. We need to ensure that, especially in this changing global strategic environment, we are fulfilling our obligations to NORAD and to NATO. And never has it been more clear uh, that this is the moment that we need to ensure the defense of our country, the protection of our country, including our Arctic. 88 F-35 aircraft are being purchased from Lockheed Martin in the U.S. for about $19 billion. The initial order will be for 16 of the jets, with delivery starting in 2026. Another 72 will be ordered in subsequent years. The new aircraft will replace our aging fleet of CF-18s. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister has arrived in Mexico for a three-day summit of the North American leaders. Justin Trudeau was welcomed at the airport in Mexico City, where he and U.S. President Joe Biden will be hosted by the country's leader. The summit officially begins tomorrow with energy, economic cooperation, immigration and drug trafficking on the agenda. But first, Trudeau is holding discussions with business leaders, followed by a dinner this evening. He'll meet one-on-one -on -one with Biden in the morning. Riot police remain on alert in the Brazilian capital tonight following the worst attack on state institutions since the country's return to democracy. The government is vowing to punish those responsible. CTV's Joy Malbin reports. In a show of force, Brazil is keeping the peace, dismantling the camps and taking as many as 1,500 people into custody. This after rioters stormed and smashed Brazil's Congress, the presidential palace, even the Supreme Court on Sunday. Federal police using tear gas and flashbangs to get control of a chaotic situation. Protesters wearing Brazil's colors rampage through buildings, hoping to restore power to far-right former President Jair Bolsonaro, sometimes known as the Trump of the tropics. Bolsonaro cried fraud, claiming without evidence the election was stolen after losing to leftist president Lula da Silva. Frightening scenes all too familiar to Americans, still reeling from the attack on the Capitol two years ago. He basically used the Trump playbook 
to inspire domestic terrorists to try to take over the government. And you're right, it looks a lot like January 6th in the United States. Trump's former strategist Steve Bannon called the rioters freedom fighters. As for Bolsonaro, he denies encouraging Sunday's riots. He's in Florida, admitted to an Orlando hospital for stomach pains. I have not dealt with his visa situation here at the UN. Uh, what I just would like to say is that uh, the government repudiates uh, in the strongest possible terms the violence committed yesterday. World leaders have quickly condemned the violence at the Three Amigos summit between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. Leaders issuing this statement saying, we stand with Brazil as it safeguards its democratic institutions. Our governments support the free will of the people of Brazil. Brazil's new president, known as Lula, vows to punish the plotters, ordering an investigation into who helped finance the protests. Joy Malvin, CTV News, Washington. The travel chaos that impacted thousands of Canadians over the holidays is going to be examined by a parliamentary committee. Passengers were an afterthought, quite frankly, and we need this committee to do some serious work and to hold people accountable, starting with the minister. Get answers about uh, when the minister intervened, what actions he took, um, how the airlines allowed it to get so bad and failed to deliver basic customer care. The House of Commons Transport Committee met today to discuss who will testify and when. Passengers struggled to get to their destinations amid widespread delays and cancellations, and hundreds of Sunwing passengers were left stranded in Mexico. Transportation Minister Omar Algabra has agreed to appear. Representatives from the airlines, airports and via rail are also among those being invited to testify. No reports of any damage after a NASA satellite re-entered the Earth's atmosphere following nearly 40 years in orbit. What was left on the, the defunct satellite came down late last night in the Bering Sea, a few hundred kilometers off Alaska. Most of it was expected to burn up, but NASA said some debris could survive. The 2,400-kilogram satellite was placed in orbit in 1984 by astronaut Sally Ride. It was retired in 2005. U.S. health officials are pushing new guidance for children struggling with obesity. The American Academy of Pediatrics says kids should be evaluated and treated early, including with medication and surgery. That is in addition to eating healthy and exercising. Doctors say delaying treatment can likely worsen the issue. Obesity affects more than 14 million people in the U.S. This is the first set of guidelines on the issue from the AAP in 15 years. Police in Peterborough say they responded to at least seven drug-related poisonings over the weekend. They believe the suspected overdoses are related to a pink-colored opioid making the rounds in the region. Police say near Georgian Bay, they're also warning recreational drug users of a potentially fatal strain of opioid in their area. They say four people have died of suspected overdoses in the past week. Two women in the township of Tay and a man and woman in a Gravenhurst motel. Police are concerned the drugs may contain either fentanyl or carefentanyl, both of which can be lethal in very small doses. And while those drugs are illegal, the danger is still very real, and every second counts to save a life. Our health reporter Pauline Chan reports on the signs to look out for and what you should do if you suspect someone is overdosing. Sean Hopkins of the Works, a safe injection site downtown, says overdoses happen far too often with deaths across North America on the rise. It's increasing. I think people are very concerned about the unregulated drug supply, uh, which is where they have to purchase their drugs from. So, yeah, we're seeing 
fairly unprecedented increases in overdoses and overdose deaths. Hopkins says it's not that unusual to come across a potential opioid overdose victim. You know, it can happen anywhere, really. TTC can happen on the street, can happen in someone's home. The key is breathing. People are, are going to be uh, having difficulty breathing. They may have stopped breathing. You wouldn't be able to rouse them. Symptoms to watch for include drowsiness or unconsciousness, difficulty breathing, blue skin, especially on the lips or fingernails, a limp body, and tiny pupils in the eyes. Call their name. If you know their name, try to wake them up. Try to rouse them, and if you don't get a response, call 911. And if you have naloxone handy, don't be afraid to use it, even in more than one dose. Ontario is requiring businesses with a high risk of seeing drug overdoses to have naloxone on hand at all times starting in June. And Hopkins hopes this will have an effect in stemming the tide of overdoses. Pauline Chan, CTV News. Increased criticism leveled against Toronto police tonight over a planned budget increase. Opponents say the injection of cash will have a major effect on how our city is policed. And that's part of the problem. CTV Sean Lethong is at police headquarters to explain what's going on. Sean. Well, Nathan and Michelle, in the last few hours, the Police Services Board passed what they said was their uh, budget request for 2023. Noted it was a $48.3 million increase to the budget and did face some opposition. When asking for a near $50 million budget increase, the Chief of Police says Toronto is already low on officers. This service remains, remains one of the leanest policing organizations on this continent when compared with other large urban police services. Chief Myron Demkew saying Toronto has fewer officers per capita compared to cities like Montreal, Chicago and London, England this morning at the Police Services Board meeting to discuss the 2023 budget request. One of our principal responsibilities is to keep our community safe and to keep Torontonians safe. Last week, Mayor John Tory announcing he will table a $48.3 million increase to the police budget for a total of $1.166 billion adding 200 new officers, including 162 priority response officers, 25 of which will be downtown. Today, 55 members of the public provided deputations either in person or virtually, with many saying this budget goes too far, especially with those concerned about the potential over-policing of black, indigenous, and racialized communities. Increase your budget. You're already doing too much. You're already killing too many people. And as a physician, I'm astounded to see how our mayor and our decision makers are choosing to spend public funds on an ever-increasing police budget. The city of Toronto and the governance associated with it, as well as the police service, has basically lost the trust of its constituents. Chief Demkew saying that this budget will help improve that trust, accelerate police reform, and ensure safer communities. And those last three points you heard were the priorities from Chief Demkew going forward. Now, going forward for this budget, the process does begin tomorrow at City Hall, and the mayor has to present his budget by February 1st with council voting on it later on. Reporting live, I'm Sean Lethong. Nathan, I'll send it back to you. All right, thank you, Sean. The province is facing controversy over its plans to get more homes built fast. Activists in Hamilton say the Ford government has overstepped in their region. And tonight they have a message for the premier. See you in court. Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris joins us now to explain. Siobhan. 
Well, Michelle, the government has used that pledge to build 1.5 million homes by 2031 to justify opening up parts of the Greenbelt for development, giving some mayors more power, and bigfooting Hamilton's plans to extend their urban boundary despite their wishes to keep it as it is. That final point, though, is the only one sending them to court. Stretches of rural land like this on the edge of Hamilton could give birth to whole neighborhoods. The province has forced the city to push its boundaries outward, adding 2,200 hectares. Law charity EcoJustice is trying to challenge that expansion in court. They're acting on behalf of advocacy group Environmental Defense. This is a very unusual level of interference in municipal decision making and municipal local democracy. The new city limits were imposed at the same time as three parcels of Greenbelt land in Hamilton were flagged for development. This was all done without providing a, a public explanation for why, um, you know, sort of beyond some rhetoric around wanting to support housing. To hit its target of building 1.5 million homes, the government has tasked Hamilton with building 47,000 homes by 2031. City staff and politicians maintain they can easily reach that goal without stretching out sprawl. As we speak, there's some 34,000 units that, uh, that that are in the hopper to be built here in the city of Hamilton. So this uh, this idea that we need to expand our urban boundary, it just, it just doesn't ring true. While the mayor thinks many Hamiltonians will appreciate eco-justice's suit, it's not a path the city can pursue. We've had that um, information from our city solicitor. Horvath and Bowman say building up communities on rural land will have long-lasting financial consequences, making sure new neighborhoods have roads and sewers. Access to um, uh, to public transit, things like libraries, things like parks. Uh, th these things have to be built into the plans. There's also worry about exacerbating the effects of climate change. We hope that uh, the courts will uh, agree with us that Minister Clark's decision was unreasonable because he did not address the legal requirements under the Planning Act to consider those policy implications. Bowman figures the filing could take six months to a year to work its way through the courts. Tonight, a spokesperson for the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing says Hamilton is expected to grow than, to more than 800,000 people by the year 2051. And so Steve Clark took necessary action to accommodate that growth and get desperately needed homes built. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Michelle, back to you. Thanks, Siobhan. Coming up, unable to find a helmet that properly fits her kids, a GTA mom decides to design one herself. The ingenious solution getting international attention. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, Canadians received billions of dollars during the pandemic in the form of government assistance, but many people have been told they have to pay it back. The Toronto actor says he has to repay almost $24,000 in benefits. All of my reports just ahead. Only one degree today in the city of Toronto, cooler than it's been, but still above seasonal. The norm for this time of year is minus two. It has been a very mild month. In fact, this past weekend brought us the end of a nine-day stretch of temperatures above the freezing mark. Yesterday, our first seasonal day in weeks. So how long will this pattern last and where's the snow? Those details are coming up in your weather forecast. And stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV.
At the height of the pandemic, the federal government rushed billions of dollars in benefits to help Canadians deal with the financial impact of COVID-19. Last month, Canada's Auditor General said $4.6 billion in assistance was paid to people who didn't deserve it, and the government wants the money back. Here's Pat Foran and Consumer Alert. Pat. They do, Nathan. And Michelle, a Toronto actor, says he applied for financial assistance during the pandemic and he thought he was eligible to receive COVID benefits. But he's been told he has to pay back almost $24,000, money he says he doesn't have. What did you think when you saw the amount? <laughs> well, thank God I was sitting at the time. Elan Demore of Toronto worked as a contractor most of his life until he had to stop for health reasons. He decided to become an actor in 2018 and was working on several projects when not long after, COVID-19 almost shut down his industry. He applied for government assistance. It was very helpful. I was able to keep my apartment. I was able to keep my stuff, pay my bills, even if I was late on a couple of it. But at least it was just enough to survive. Timur received funds from CERB and the Canada Recovery Benefit, but recently he got a letter from Revenue Canada that said, we reviewed your COVID-19 benefits. You need to pay back $23,700. I think it's pretty crazy when I know that everybody around me got like, you know, two, three thousand, five thousand to reimburse, not 24. That's a big chunk. Last month, Canada's Auditor General said Ottawa paid out billions to Canadians who were not eligible for COVID benefits. We found that overpayments of $4.6 billion were made to ineligible individuals. The government has recovered about half the funds mistakenly paid to ineligible Canadians and it wants the rest. That includes overpayments in all its COVID benefit programs. Demore believes a mistake was made on his taxes and he wants the chance to submit a revised tax return. He says it's unfair for the government to give him so much money and then ask for it back. You gave the money to people to help to survive. You gave the money. It was not a loan. Right now it feels like, okay, I borrow from you and now I need to pay back with interest. It doesn't make too much sense for me. To reimburse that, there's no way. I, I don't even do that a year. And more than 8 million Canadians received COVID benefits during the pandemic. About 250,000 people received the letter saying they must pay back some or all of the money they received in assistance. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. The second week of January starting to feel more like January. It's a chilly evening with maybe some flurries. Yeah, it's a little cooler. I think uh, it's time to put maybe the gloves back on, which I have not been using for the past couple weeks now. Well, here's the thing. It's above seasonal, but it is still January. So when you put it all into perspective that way, yeah, it's still chilly, even on those above seasonal days. Pattern-wise, going forward, we have more mild weather in store. If you're wondering where the snow is, we do have a system that's headed our way for this week, but it looks as though it might be mild enough for us to get some rain instead. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. Yes, there's a chance of flurries tonight, but perhaps the more widespread concern, mainly north of Toronto, is the risk of some freezing drizzle. So this is where uh, surfaces like roads, sidewalks, driveways become a little bit slick out there, and it's not always visible to uh, the human eye. So just take it easy if you do have to be out and about. This advisory includes areas as far south as Caledon, as well 
well as Newmarket over toward Uxbridge. But you can see it extends all the way from the shoreline of Lake Huron right through to Kingston and north into the Muskoka region. As for the satellite and radar, not a whole lot to show you here. Uh, big picture, we are quiet over the next couple of days. Things change as we make our way through the middle to end of this work week. And it looks as though some areas could get a little burst of flurries uh, tomorrow. Let me just show you what's in store. There's our chance of evening flurries tonight, very isolated in nature. Uh, guess what? Another cloudy day on tap for tomorrow. Uh, midday, it's possible that areas between London and Windsor could see some very light snow. Not really expected to impact us. Maybe a couple of flurries in the Hamilton area. And then we're dry until about Wednesday evening. Right now the model's showing a chance of maybe a dusting of snow once again. It's Thursday where a low-pressure system, uh, a Colorado low, is going to swing through. And with this, it's looking as though we are mild enough for some rain. Going to start off with some showers. And then that rain becomes a little steadier overnight and into Friday. Overnight tonight, we drop to a low of minus 2 degrees. Wind chill minus 4. And then tomorrow... You'll notice that once again, most communities are above the freezing mark, uh, with a couple of exceptions. Minus four degrees for you in Orangeville, right around freezing in Burlington, slightly cooler than the freezing mark in the Vaughan area. Maybe some sun in pockets of eastern Ontario for tomorrow, but for the most part, it is another cloudy day. Yes, again, starting to feel like a little bit of a broken record over here. Looks like we could also get some peaks of sun into the day on Thursday. That's ahead of that low pressure system's arrival and the wet weather. Come Friday, we cool down a little bit, so maybe some mixing or some wet flurries in the forecast. I'm crossing my fingers for this weekend that once again we will be at least able to enjoy a somewhat more prolonged period of sunshine. That's your weather for now. Nathan, over to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. The safety of kids is paramount for parents. But when one Brampton mother couldn't find a bike helmet that fit her sons, instead of telling them they couldn't ride, she took matters into her own hands. And as CTV's Allison Hurst reports, the design is going global. This is how we used to do things. Hollow out a regular bike helmet to make room for her son's putka or top knot. I went to the stores to look around. You know, I looked on the internet and like I found nothing. There was nothing from anyone. So two and a half years ago, occupational therapist Tina Singh began designing one. I think that there's been three major prototypes. With the help of her sons trying on various designs, she eventually landed on this one, where the foam follows the grooves and meets safety standards. The reaction is mainly positive, especially from parents like me who have been struggling with this issue for a long time. Helmet rules have been an ongoing issue for years in Canada. In 2008, two BC construction workers filed a grievance with their employer over a mandatory hard hat rule. And sick motorcycle riders have also fought helmet laws, getting an exception passed here in Ontario in 2018. Well, there's people who feel strongly that you shouldn't put anything on top of that cloth covering. And Everyone can, can, can practice and feel how they want to feel, but for parents like me who wanted an option for their kids, I'm glad that there is one. Singh's husband, Herpreet Judge, wishes there'd been one when he was young. A few friends used to go and play hockey there. They always wanted to pick it up, but uh, wasn't quite able to just because the helmet doesn't, wouldn't quite fit over top of, uh, uh, like we'll call it top knot. Usually in Punjabi, we'll refer to it as a juda. This is something really cool. It's going to mean a lot for a lot of kids, I think. Singh says pre-sale requests are coming in not just from Canada, but also Hong Kong, the UK and the UAE. For now, she says she's focused on bike helmets, but is open to branching out. I would be looking at probably like things like hockey and things like that, um, which I think there is a demand for to have a helmet that does fit in the hockey space. Um, but yeah, my focus is on kids and safety and inclusion for sick kids. Production is underway with helmets expected to be on heads by March. Alison Hurst, CTV News.
They don't seem to know what's causing it. They're just worried it's not a cyber attack. Updating our top stories, the University Health Network remains under a code gray as it experiences outages with its digital systems. So far, there's been no word on the cause or which systems are affected. You could be waiting up to 10 minutes for your subway. You will be waiting longer for the bus and streetcar, and when they come, they'll be more crowded. And that is not the way to win riders back. The TTC has approved a number of changes today, including service reductions and a 10-cent fare hike. It aims to generate funds in an effort to offset an increase in the cost of fuel as well as new safety investments. I do think we should have more um, inclusive and diverse products, especially safety products on the market. A Brampton mom's designed a bike helmet, which is keeping her kids safe and allowing them to honor their faith. Now she's receiving orders from around the world with the helmets expected to be available by March. On the markets, the loonie rose a third of a cent to 74.70 U.S. Oil climbed to 74.63 U.S. a barrel. And the TSX gained 42 points to close at 19,857. While the Leafs have been giving fans a lot to cheer about lately, there's one issue that keeps cropping up for people watching the game on screens. Reports of headaches and sometimes much worse. Here's CTV's Raheem Ladani to explain why. This is Sebastian Jackson and his daughter Sophia. They love watching hockey together and never thought that experience could be taken away. She's five now. She's just turned five. She was recently diagnosed with epilepsy. Take a closer look at the advertisements along the boards during Sunday's Leafs game. They changed during the play. But several times this NHL season, people have seen this type of jarring video on their televisions because of technology glitches. Flashy lights, glitchy technology, um, loud noises. And with us just learning about this and, and what it is, um, It'd be really unfortunate if she had a seizure due to a hockey game, watching a hockey game with dad on the, on the couch. The National Hockey League launched this digital signage, working with a UK-based virtual tech company. While the ads are virtual, they're causing a real problem for some fans. On social media, one person tweeting, I have epilepsy and I have to be careful about watching the game now. And another saying, our son's epilepsy is triggered by mostly flickering, and we had no idea why he was suddenly having seizures again. No NHL games, and now he's seizure-free again. One in 100 people um, have epilepsy, and approximately 3% of that popula population um, have photosensitive epilepsy. So they may experience something um, like headaches or, or dizziness, perhaps nausea. Um, obviously, on the extreme end of that scale, they could be triggered and, and have a seizure. Neither the NHL or tech company have responded to CTV News requests asking if measures could be taken to rectify the situation. Before the season, the league told ESPN it expects there to be an adjustment period for fans, but that it'll ultimately improve their viewing experience. Advocates say at the very least, the league should consider adding a warning before each broadcast. But this is something that is very real for over 40,000 people um, who live in Toronto. As for Jackson, he hopes the league will eliminate the digital ads altogether. You know, not just my daughter, but everybody. Everybody who, who feels alienated because of this is able to, to just turn on and watch a, a hockey game. So that he and Sophia can once again safely create more memories. Raheem Ladani, CTV News. We leave you tonight with a touching story about survival and true love. Two GTA newlyweds who said their I do's at a place they've spent a lot of hours recently, overcoming the toughest of times. 
Here's Scott Lightfoot. A nervous groom, a blushing bride, a scene you'd expect to see in a church, and likely not in the lobby of a health care center. But that's exactly where this couple decided to get married. In sickness, in health. In sickness, in health. Tao Gao and Su Chiang first met in 2016, when they were both working at TNT Supermarket. We start getting, fell in love with her, so she, she's uh, cute. She, she's very cute, yes. The pair have been dating ever since. Last February, Su Chi suffered a brain bleed called an arteriovenous malformation rupture and required brain surgery. It's, it's just like a time bomb in her brain. When it explodes, it's causing the internal bleeding in her, in her hands. Since then, she's needed months of rehabilitation to help her regain basic abilities like walking and talking. Much of that process has taken place at the Queensway Health Centre, so the pair decided their wedding should too, which was attended by family, friends and the team who've helped get Suchi back on her feet, literally. When the music came on for the rehearsal, you know, you could see the whole team just tear right up because this is the outcome and the fruits of their labor. And I was speaking with Pam, the speech-language pathologist, who worked so closely with our bride to be able to say her, to be able to say her vows, and that being such an important part of the, of the uh, experience. From saying their vows... My to just walking down the aisle. It's been a long road to this point, but while some couples may have found a year of hospital stays, surgeries and rehabilitation to be added stress on an impending marriage, Tao and Su Chi say for them, it's actually brought them closer together. I feel our relationship has improved. I mean, like we have more uh, uh, connect relationship because I, have, I need to spend more time to take care of her. So I feel uh, us is more connected since this happens. Now even more connected after tying the knot and walking into their future together, one step at a time. Scott Lightfoot, CTV News. Very lovely. One last look at the forecast. What can we expect tonight and tomorrow? Yeah, overnight tonight, some freezing drizzle. Looks like uh, conditions will improve into the morning. Here's your overnight at a glance. Minus 2 degrees for the low, wind chill minus 4. And then into the day tomorrow, surprise, surprise, it's looking like another cloudy day. Temperature hovering right around the freezing mark. Looks like we get into a little bit of active weather as early as Wednesday night, but more so Thursday and Friday. But it looks to be mild enough for at least mainly rain and perhaps a changeover to some wet snow. No, Michelle and Nathan. Thank you, Lindsay. That's it for us, but be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 1130. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a good night.